0: In the American philosopher William Graham Sumner coined the term the forgotten man. Sumner defined the forgotten man as one who has been compelled to pay for the many new reformist programs of the time. Now remember that at the turn of the 20th century, it was a period of sweeping social activism and political reform across the United States. This is known as the progressive era and it was situated on the political right. Teddy Roosevelt, for example, was a leading progressive, and in fact, he founded the Progressive Party in 1912 after he lost the presidential nomination of the GOP to incumbent President William Howard Taft. Now, those progressives were also very big on creating new laws all the time. It was laws, laws, and more laws and Sumner was disturbed by the fact that the government was using the people, the American people, or the forgotten men as he called it, to pay for all these expansive state-led programs. This is how he described the situation. A observes something in society that he feels is wrong, and he identifies that this particular social evil, this social problem, is hurting X, A then discusses the issue with B, and A and B then propose to get a law passed to remedy the problem in order to help X. However, the laws championed by A and B always require what C shall pay in order to fund the programs intended to help X. C here is the one who A and B coerced into paying for the various initiatives that they feel society needs. Now let's put this into the context of Vermont. A here are the progressive activists, B is Montpelier, which is our legislature and the administrative state, and C refers to middle class and working class Vermonters who are compelled to pay for the various state programs that the progressive activists and the people who run Montpelier decide that our society needs. Describing C, the man who is never thought of by A and B, Sumner said, quote, I call him the forgotten man. He works, he votes, generally he prays, but he always pays, end quote. The predicament of this forgotten man and woman is indeed pathetic in the state of Vermont, where A and B, that is, the activists, the permanent political class, and by and large our legislators, never think of C, never think of the forgotten middle class and working class people of Vermont. The political concept of the forgotten man has a very interesting trajectory. In the 1930s, FDR appropriated the term and he redefined it to mean the downtrodden, the person who benefits from the various programs of the New Deal. When Trump was elected president in 2016, he famously tweeted that, quote, the forgotten man and woman will never be forgotten again, end quote. Trump was referring to the dispossessed working-class Americans whose livelihoods have been deliberately devastated by the anti-nationalist and globally-oriented elites. For the purpose of this podcast, I will use Sumner's original definition and refer to the forgotten man and woman as those segments of society who are compelled to finance expansive programs of social activism and political reform that those in charge decide that society needs. So in this case, it would be the rapidly vanishing middle class and working class Vermonters. The Green New Left's activism for the climate crisis, previously known as climate change, previously previously known as global warming, offers many shining examples for how the forgotten man and woman pay the price. Last week, Republican Governor Phil Scott signed a new law that bans single-use plastic bags in Vermont beginning next July. Policies such as banning single-use plastic bags and outlawing plastic straws form a part of a larger green agenda that aims to re-engineer the entire energy economy for the United States. However, as common sense tells us, these policies will not mitigate global temperatures or the rise of sea levels. So they have very little to do with actually saving the planet and speak more to the motives of those enacting this agenda, which is illuminated with surprising candor by socialist turned environmentalist Naomi Klein in her article titled Capitalism Versus the Climate, published by the far left magazine, The Nation. Klein writes, quote, responding to climate change requires that we break every rule in the free market playbook and that we do so with great urgency, end quote. By breaking every rule in the free market playbook, Klein means that we ought to break every avenue for free enterprise, and every avenue by which we exercise our individual freedoms. And this project of restructuring our society away from capitalism ought to be done so with great urgency. Here is how she recommends this project of massive restructuring be implemented. Quote, we will need to rebuild the public sphere, reverse privatizations, Heavily regulate and tax corporations, maybe even nationalize some of them, relocalize large parts of economies, scale back overconsumption, bring back long term planning, cut military spending, and recognize our debts to the third world. End quote. But what exactly do her prescriptions for a brave new world entail? Let's take a closer look at her recommendations. Reverse privatizations and nationalize various aspects of the economy is simple enough to understand. But what does scale back over consumption mean? Hmm. It means stop you from buying things that you want, restricted to only the things that you need. And who decides what you need? Well, for that, we need to bring back long-term planning or central planning. She says that we should not be afraid of it and it's really not a bad thing because what you need to do now is to return power to the community and so that instead of the big, bad, scary central planning, you have feel-good community planning with egalitarian slogans such as return power to the people, no more hierarchies, and let the people be in charge. That actually makes no sense at all because think about it. Everybody in a town cannot be in charge of planning. Someone ultimately has to step up and take charge. And who gets that job? Definitely not the free market capitalist folks for sure. Klein confesses, quote, climate change supercharges the pre-existing case for virtually every progressive demand on the books and binds them into a coherent agenda that is based on a clear scientific imperative, end quote. From the very beginning, Karl Marx insisted that his socialist doctrine was, quote, scientific. This need for a scientific basis, a scientific imperative, means that their claims about society are indisputable, with no room for debate and absolutely no tolerance for dissent. The very definition of totalitarian thought here, Klein echoes this need for a scientific basis to shut down debate. Climate change, with its settled science, provides a cover for progressives to impose their plan for human society, and the icing on the cake is the urgency with which action needs to be taken. Remember how AOC claimed that we have only 12 years before the Earth ceases to exist? To emphasize a false sense of urgency, the left-leaning British newspaper, The Guardian, now requires its writers to use the term climate emergency instead of the more benign sounding climate change. Climate activists and others on the progressive left see human interaction as a series of problems for which they are best equipped to devise solutions. In contrast, those on the right understand that there are no solutions, but merely trade-offs. As economist Thomas Sowell explains, when we attempt to make something better, we must realize that simultaneously something else may get worse. Sometimes it could get a little worse, sometimes a lot worse. For example, for Vermonters who need to commute long distances for work, who need to use farming and mining equipment, who need to stay warm during the long cold winters, understand that they must make small environmental trade-offs to improve their economic condition. They are not immoral or selfish or deniers of quote, settled science, which is why it is critical to reject the paradigm set up by the left, exemplified by the question, Do you believe that man is causing the Earth's climate to worsen? As I said earlier, the policies of the green agenda will not affect the Earth's temperatures, the carbon dioxide levels of the atmosphere, or impact the water level of the seas and oceans. So whether man's actions have caused Earth's climate to change is not the point, with which public policy needs to concern itself. Vermonters are committed to minimizing pollution, to conserving nature, to looking after our environment, but to the chagrin of Vermont's leftist activist political class. We are not going to upend capitalism, free enterprise, our individual freedoms and property rights to that end. The green left's vulgar will to power in order to restructure society away from the capitalistic order is brilliantly exemplified in the proposed changes to Act 250. Act 250 is a 50-year-old land use law that was created in the 1970s when zoning regulations were not common in Vermont. The legislature is currently considering revisions to Act 250 as Vermont politicians, led by the Commission on Act 250, look ahead to the next 50 years. The Commission on Act 250 released a draft report a few months ago in which the Commission proposed that climate change should be added as a criterion for project review and approval. So let's say that a business wants to create a new project that would boost economic development and create lots of new jobs. Well in Vermont they would have to go through the Act 250 permitting process where you need permits before you can embark on the the new development. And so the commission looking at Act 250 2.0 is saying that the state of Vermont should consider the amount of carbon emissions, greenhouse gases, what materials are being used in the development and how would they pollute the environment. So they would consider all these factors before giving the go ahead to any new development project. In a state with an already dying economy, adding climate change to further shackle commerce and kill economic development is the last thing that we need. Act 250 is already wreaking havoc on Vermont business owners. Just a few days ago, I read a report that Victory Hill Sector, a famous destination of biking trails that attracts bikers from all over the nation and the world, has been shut down because of a conflict with Act 250. Act 250 regulators decided that the trail network needs to apply for a commercial development permit. John McGill manages the operations of the Victory Hill sector, and he disagrees with the Act 250 ruling. He believes that the bike trail network is a nonprofit. He said that the ruling is an example of how Act 250 has been weaponized against outdoor recreation efforts. Last year, between 2,700 and 3,000 bikers visited the network. McGill says that Victory Hill sector will be closed for the foreseeable future. This is certainly an unfortunate development and a huge blow to Vermont's economy. I agree with McGill's observation. Act 250 has been weaponized, not just against outdoor recreational activities, but against business and economic development in general. And it is the forgotten man and woman who always pays the price. Another very disturbing proposal to Act 250 2.0 consists of encouraging the migration of rural Vermonters into urban centers. This recommendation is in line with Naomi Klein's idea of bringing back central planning in the pursuit of the revolutionary restructuring of our society. Klein writes, quote, climate change by putting us on a firm deadline can serve as the catalyst for precisely this profound social and ecological transformation, end quote. If you do not agree with this plan of action, then I have a question for you. How are you going to prevent Vermonters from being sacrificed at the altar of the green left's religion of climatology? William Graham Sumner said that the forgotten man does not seek office. His name never gets into the newspaper except when he gets married or dies. He is only courted by politicians during campaign season. He may grumble occasionally to his wife and family But he does not talk politics at the tavern. Consequently, he is forgotten. He is never thought of. What are you going to do so that Montpelier can't afford to forget you? How are you going to write what's left of Vermont? Write to me at megpodcast at gmail.com. You can listen to past episodes of the podcast on soundcloud.com. Or on my Facebook page, Dialogues with Meg Hansen, where you can also watch interviews from my TV show. New episodes of the podcast every Tuesday and Thursday. Until next time, I'm Meg Hansen and you've been listening to Writing What's Up.